0: Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. I'm going to open us up in prayer today, and we're going to do a one-off sermon. The reason why we're doing a one-off and we're taking a break from our message and our mission is because I promised a shorter sermon in light of our uh, family uh, member meeting today. And so we're actually going to be talking about fear. And uh, I'll explain why in just a minute. So if you guys would, you can start making your way to Isaiah 43. It's almost in the middle of your Bible. If you're new to your Bible, you can kind of turn to the middle and get to uh, the book of Psalms and then hang a right from there and you'll be in Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 43 as we look at the topic of fear today. Just so you guys know, one of the things I'm going to be praying about this morning is for one of our family members, Bethany Taylor. So... Uh, Her mom, I believe, went into surgery on Friday, had some complications, and she lost her mom uh, unexpectedly over the course of the weekend. So if you guys can just remember to keep her and her family in your prayers, uh, I know they would greatly appreciate it. So join me as we pray. Fathers, we even prayed this morning uh, before service that we praise you, um, that you're a God who's near. Even as we just sang and Mark said, you're, you're, you're not a God, a God that's far off. You're a God that's present. In fact, your word says you're ever-present help in time and needs. So we're praying that for Bethany and even for those in our church family this morning, whether online, whether in person, that are hurting, that are grieving, that are suffering loss, God, that they would know that you are near. That they would also know, Jesus, that you know the pain of grief. You know the pain of a loss because you're not a God that stayed far off. Protected on your throne, separated from humanity. You're a God that stepped in. You know pain. You know loss. You know frustration. You know hurt. You know what it is to be abandoned. You know these feelings. You know what it is to cry. God, you know what sickness is. You know these things because you stepped in. And I pray that in the midst of pain and hurting for people in this room, for Bethany, for others, that we would know that you're a God that's near, that's present, and that relates to us, that can sympathize and empathize with our pain and with our hurt. God, we praise you. You've given your word. I know that for many, it can seem like you've been silent. There's a ton of fears, but God, through your word, you are screaming over and over and over again. This message of your love, this message of your nearness, as it tells this whole collective story of how you stepped in to rescue and redeem us. God squelch the fear in our lives from a greater understanding of who you are. We thank you for your word, your living word that you speak to us through it. Speak to us this morning in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. uh, Isaiah 43. The main point this morning is going to be God makes our fear disappear. God makes our fear disappear. If you guys have been around GCC for any length of time, we work off what we would call a couple gospel models. Uh, and the, the one that we're going to be looking at this morning is, is what we would call who, what, who, what. I know it sounds a little funky, so let me explain. The who, what, who, what is this. Is the, the way that the world starts typically is what the last what. And what that what is, is what do I do? So the world comes in and says, hey, you, you, you have fear in your life. Well, what you need to do is maybe try some yoga. Maybe if you have fear, you need to stop drinking coffee. There's certain things you need to do. And those are all pragmatic steps on what you need to do. Where the Christian worldview is different is we start with who is God. That is our foundation. So our very first who is who is God. So a knowledge of God shapes all other areas of, of life. Because if there's a God in control and there's a God who's spoken, which we believe he has, if he's the creator of us. And if fear goes against his human design, which it does, then what does he have to say about it? So that's the first two. The second is what? What has this God done in Christ? So this is who he is. What has he done in Christ? What has he accomplished for us? The reason why that's important is because we also, like the secular world, don't start off with, who are we? That's the third who. Who is God? What has he done in Christ? Who are we? We don't just jump to going, who are we? Who are we as people? Because that can be a never-ending, exhausting search if we don't know first who God is and what he's accomplished and what he's made us to be. Then we look at who we are in Christ. This is who we are, sons and daughters, an unshakable identity that cannot change into eternity. And then out of all of these truths, then we look at what do we do? You see, this is a massive shift. Legalism and self-righteousness says, here's what you need to do. And after you do this and do all this right, this is who you can become, a son or a daughter. What Christianity says, this is who God is. This is what he's done. Now, this is who you are. And this is how you live out of that. It is a big, big, big shift. If you're new here, that's the message we want to make known and clear. We're going to get back to our core values next week. We're going to be jumping into Romans 7 as we look at our core value of being authentic. And then the following week is Ephesians 4. What I would do to get ahead of your reading is read Romans 7 and read Ephesians 4. And you can read all of those chapters to get some context there. So why fear and, and, and why a one-off on fear? Because the amount of people, myself included, that I have met with and talked with ha- have had a consistent theme. And this is it. I'm burnout, I'm exhausted, and I'm tired. Burnout, exhausted, and tired. And the more we dig into that, the more we're starting to see that this burnout, this, exhaust, this exhaustion, and this tiredness is coming from people that are scared, people that are fearful. But here's the thing, we don't ever like to say that we're fearful. And so we've, we've used other terms, and, and we've even come up with other terms, like, I'm just being wise, right? Right? And so, for instance, the first thing that I do when I walk into a restaurant anyone that knows me and we're going to be seated as I place my back against the wall so I can see the whole restaurant, right? Cause it's wise. It's actually because I'm scared. <laughs> I'm fearful. I like to see all that's going on and whatnot. And some people would say, "Oh, well, that's just the wise thing to do. Sure. So much of what we do in society is we can put the clothing of, this is just me being wise. This is just me being me. I'm a helicopter parent because I'm actually really wise. If we were honest and started to get honest with our fears, we could lay out a plethora of fears. We are fearful people. And if you don't believe you are, then why does the Bible tell us over and over and over again to fear not? It's not like God didn't know that humans weren't fearful. It's that he really, really knows us really well and knows that we are all very fearful people. And we don't even like to call it fear. Very rarely do I ever hear people repenting, God, I'm sorry for just being so fearful and being afraid and not actually trusting you. It's not even a common thing that we repent for. Talk about. So what what do we need? What's the remedy for God to make fear disappear? I, I would say we need a couple things. We need knowledge, which if you go to Bible college or seminary, you start with theological training, in what's called theology proper, which is the doctrine and the study of God, his nature, his characteristics, his attributes. That's where you start. You start with the foundation of God. So what we need is a robust knowledge of God, theology proper, but we can't just in there. We also need a deep belief in those truths about God, a resting truth, because um, even as someone said this morning is we can just have a bunch of head facts. In fact, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, both renowned atheists, can tell you a lot of knowledge about God. They can spit out a lot of facts about God. In fact, they know their Bibles a lot better than Christians do. This is a head knowledge. There's a difference between knowing things, believing these things, and even experiencing the reality of these things. And so we need a big knowledge of God, but what we also need is for the Spirit to give us a deeper and deeper, deeper faith, belief, trust, and confidence in these, uh, in this knowledge about God. The reason why is I could say, You're struggling with fear? Just memorize 10 Bible verses about fear. You can memorize those, but there's a difference. Again, memorizing Scripture is good, but believing the truths of what the Scripture is conveying is better. Otherwise, you just have facts that you're quoting that you don't actually bring your life to sit under. This is why theology is important. This is why A.W. Tozer says, the most important thoughts you can think throughout your day period are your thoughts that you believe and think about God. It'll shape the way you live. It'll shape your fear. It'll shape shame. It'll shape uh, guilt. It'll shape your parenting because when we have an accurate knowledge of God and a belief in that knowledge, it shapes the way we live. And the reason why I believe that fear is leading to such burnout and exhaustion is because when you live in a state of fight-or-flight mode and you live in a state of fear, you're going to get burnout. Physiologically, our bodies aren't meant to live in that constant state. Whenever we are in a fight-or-flight mode, Endorphins kick in, adrenaline surges through our body, our blood pressure rises, stress hormones are released. It can lead to health problems and complications. And I would say that's going on, and it's been going on because of the year that we just came out of, but also the year that we're in. There's just a lot of fear. There's a lot of shifting. There's a lot of changing. There's a lot of things that we're like, man, I'm losing control. I had a job. I don't have a job. I thought things were going like this. I didn't know this. I didn't know I was going to be a homeschooling parent. There's an, just an ever-revolving shifts and change. You add politics to that. You add division to that. You add just relational hardships to that. And, and there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of exhaustion.
1: You could take two kids.
0: And give them the same workload, homework and everything like that. But if one goes home to a very turbulent environment where there's just a lot of hostility in the home and there's a lot of angst and fear, which kid's going to get, and I'll say it this way, the the other kid goes home to a very stable environment. Which kid do you think is going to get tired quicker? If you put two people on a bridge, and the one draw bridge is shaky, it looks like it's a thousand years old, it's never been worked on, it's got holes in it everywhere, and that person walks across that bridge, and you have another bridge, that is concrete. You can't see the bottom. It it just looks firm and steady. And both people walk across. The one person that walks across the shaky drawbridge, when they get to the other side, they're going to be exhausted because every step they took, the only thing they could think about is surely this thing is coming down any moment. The other person covered the same distance, but they had a greater faith. What? The bridge that they were walking across. It seemed steady. It seemed firm seem to have a firm foundation. I'm saying the more that we grasp who God is and and a belief in him, then the more that we walk across a bridge that's like this so we can do the same task in life with whatever circumstances are going around, but be unshakable through a knowledge of who God is, what he's done, who
1: we are in him. Let's read.
0: Isaiah 43, just covering a few verses, one through one through four. This is the words of the prophet Isaiah. This is our biggest prophetic book where Isaiah spends the first, in a sense, almost 40 chapters covering if you don't turn Israel from the way you're living, exile and judgment is coming. And they didn't, and he was right. Verse one, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life these are the words from the prophet Isaiah again judgment is what he was saying is coming but starting in chapter 40 it's a change it's a it's a turn if you read this book and he's to say judgment's going to (laughs) come but after that the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that's made promises, he's going to stay faithful to his covenant. He's going to stay faithful to his promises. There's hope. What, what Isaiah says in chapter 42, if you go back and read the context, is he's rebuking Israel. He's saying, you're blind and you're deaf. <laughs> your, 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 your heart is hard and you're not hearing. And here's the result. When we, when we become blind and deaf to who God is and to the promises of God, fear will be the natural result. When we have a deeper understanding of who God is, a deeper knowledge and a different belief, then that makes fear disappear because it's God that's doing that. Look at how he starts off. Prior to this, 42, he's building, that's the conjunction, but he's saying you're hardened and you're deaf. Notice here that there's no shift and no change in Israel. I like what Ray Ortland says. He says, when you get to verse verse 1 of 43 and you see the but now, he says this, the but now does not signal any change in us, but declares one thing and one thing only, the grace of God. He goes on to say, It is not even our repentance, but only God Himself. There's nothing in this verse one that leads you to go, Oh, look at what Israel did. Like they started to turn or change or something like that. Instead, it says, But now, thus says the Lord God is speaking. Listen, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. Who should we listen to? Who should we go back to? When we're looking at something like fear, who should we listen to? It is our Creator. The one who created us, the one who knitted us, the one who formed us, that is who we should listen to. Our God is a transcendent God, meaning that he's over and above everything, but he's also an immanent God, meaning that he's presently involved with everything that's going on. Our God is God's creation, and God did not create, create human beings to be fearful, In fact, fear was not a part of his design at all. If you go back to the garden and and look at Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned against God, it was only then that they say that we felt afraid. That was a result of sin. Fear was never a part of it. Living in perfect relationship with God where there was no fear, that was God's intention. That was God's design. So he says, uh, thus says the Lord your God, he who created you. Let's look to the creator. For so many things in life that are going on, Where we start is not with who is God. When we look at sex and sexuality, when we look at relationships, when we look at marriage, we go and look at magazines and we go look at so many things. Why would we not look to the origin, the creator of these gifts? And so Isaiah says
1: this, fear not. Why? Because you're awesome. Because you're super strong.
0: Because God's gonna make your marriage better. Because God's gonna redeem things in your life, cause He's gonna get you through school, you're gonna get the degree. It says none of that. Because you have a good savings account. You no, know, we you can have fifty hundred thousand dollars in savings, which is which is that's a Western problem. That's a Western thing. And you can still be fearful about finances because there's something deeper going on there. A restlessness tied to knowledge and trust, belief. Notice any time that the Bible says and God's word speaks about fear, it is always connected to a person who is God and to his action within humanity. Fear not. That's what he says. You can see here in verse one. Look, none of that. Not because you're awesome, because you're super smart, anything like that. Fear not. Here's why you should not fear. Because I've redeemed you. I've delivered you. I've ransomed you. I've made you. Mine.
1: That's why God says not to fear.
0: So who is God? He's a he's creator. He's the creator of you, of me. What, does he do, what has he done? He's redeemed us. This word redeemed means that he's paid a costly price to deliver us. It says here right after that, I have called you by name. You are mine. This is God laying his claim to you as his son or as his daughter. There's no more tug, tug of war. It's like the enemy, the world, God, anything like this. He's like, nope. With full arms embraced around you, he's like, you no longer belong to anyone else. The world cannot lay its claim to you. Why? Because you are mine. Period. I, I, I have called you mine. Mine. I've called you by name, whatever your name is in this room. God says, I have called you personally, personalize it by name. You're mine. I've redeemed you. I've made you mine. I've purchased you. You're mine. How does this start? This who is God and what has he done? How does this start to squelch or diminish fear and make it disappear? Because if the all-supreme, transcendent, all-powerful God, meaning this, God is omnipotent. He has limitless power. He's omniscient, meaning he has all knowledge, but he's also infinitely good. He's infinitely wise, meaning that as his child, when he claims you mine, that all of his goodness, all of his love, and all of his mercy is directed towards everything that happens to you and in your life at all times. There is nothing that can come into your life, big or small, that God is not in control of letting it be there for your very own good, though it might be super painful in the moment. Why? Because you're his, and any loving parent would tell you they are not going to let anything come into their children's lives unless it was for their good. And the God of the Bible, our God, says you're mine. You don't have to fear because whatever comes your way, it is coming from my hands and I've allowed it. This is important for us because when we get into verse two, he starts to hit on what is coming to Israel's path. But also it's a promise to all of us. Look, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. You have to see something. It doesn't say you won't pass through waters. It doesn't say that you won't go into the furnace. You know what's amazing is God wrote this. Isaiah wrote this 100 years before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever entered into the furnace. So this is this is Isaiah saying, hey, you're, you're going to go into the furnace. It's not going to consume you. That literally happened. This is him also saying, which which Jesus promises as well, in this life, you're going to pass through waters. Israel did. And it's going to look like they're going to overwhelm you. But I promise you, I promise you that they are not going to consume you because you're mine. In this life, you're going to enter in furnaces and into fire, and it's going to feel like they are burning you alive. And I'm promising you this. Look at what it says in verse 2. I will be with you, and they will not consume you. It's not that you won't go through them. It's not that they won't be hard. It's not that they won't be painful. In fact, I'm promising you, you will. But what I'm almost pro- promising you is that I will never leave you or forsake you. This is why I love Psalm 23. It's my favorite psalm. Psalm of David, later in his life, he's like, I, I, I get it now. <laughs> that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you prepare a table before me. This is what David's saying. He's like, I have enemies all around me, but I'm sitting down and having a meal face to face with God. Because of his love and his care and his provision in my life. Jesus makes this promise too. In John 16, he actually says, What? I have said these things to you that you may have peace in this world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. What is Jesus promising? You're going to have trials. It's going to be hard. It's going to get hot. There's going to be waters. There's going to be rivers. Take heart. I've overcome the world. The only reason God will allow you to pass through waters, to go into the furnace is out of his good care for you. Here's the thing. Maybe it's discipline. Maybe it's because we live in a fallen world, but that actually doesn't matter, and here's why. Because whether God is disciplining you or whether you're living in a fallen world, he's in control and he's good, and the only thing still that he's allowing to come into your life is for your good and for his glory. So it it doesn't change, but here's what it can't be, And, and, and here's what gets rid of fear, is whatever's going on in your life right now is not God's punishment for you, and the reason why is because it can't be because God's punishment was brought to Jesus Christ on the cross. And so whatever he's allowing to come into your life is out of his love and his care for you. And here's what I would say is that our current trials in life that we are going through right now actually tell us what we did about the last trials that we went through. When you see in the book of Jeremiah, he was actually lowered into a cistern and he was dipped into clay and you don't see any sort of response from him. It's like Jeremiah was ready for this. Why? Because he's been a man who's been tested by many trials before. When you see Daniel being lowered into the lines and you don't see a man freaking out, you see a man who's been tested by trials before. Our trials are oftentimes telling that we're presently going through of how much training we've had from the previous ones. And in fact, I would say this, that if you're going through a trial right now, and it's a furnace and it's hot, then I would cling to the promise that it will not consume you. But I would dare you to pray this. I would dare you to ask God to turn up the heat, which might sound really unsympathetic. But I promise it's not. I would ask God to make the fire hot. Because as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 7, I think we have a verse for it. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The reason why I would ask God to turn up the heat is because through that, and, 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 and what a furnace does for gold, is it melts away the hotter it is any impurities, and what's left is a tested, genuine faith. And oftentimes what we do when we enter into trials is we say, God, I don't care. I just want you to get me out of this. What we need to say is, God, whatever you're doing in my heart and life, I don't want you to bypass that until you do the completed work that needs to be done so that my faith is tested and it's proven genuine. And then I promise God through your trials will produce character. Why? Because his word says so again in Romans 5. He says this, that that through uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So again, I I would dare you, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to pray for God to turn up the heat with whatever storm, furnace that you're in in life, because through it, I believe that God deepens and strengthens our faith, makes it genuine. And here's the thing, how does that speak to fear? The greater knowledge we have of God, but also the more that we believe in who God is and what he's done, then the more that God makes that fear in our lives disappear. Because the more that we start to realize, hey, I've been here before, and here's what I know true, the same thing as David, is that God hasn't changed because he's immutable and he can't. That though my situation is staying, I'm still laid claim by God. I'm still his son. I'm still his daughter. And here's the thing, and he, he, here's what I would say that I'm not, uh, that I don't wanna be unsympathetic, is I'll just be real with you guys for a moment. I, I had the worst year I've had, like many of you, in 2020. And so, just to be super transparent, I went to our elders at the beginning of this year and said, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. And in, in fact, I don't think I'm the guy anymore to, to, to continue here and, and, and continue to the church. I was just smoked. <laughs> and, I'm, and, and, and I used this similar language. I was like, I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. I'm done. All the heightened political stuff, all that's going on, I was just like, I'm, I'm done. And I feel like all that was taking place in life had taken its toll on me. And for the first time, I was like, man, other job opportunities sound good. Other things sound good. A lot of stuff looks good. Here's the reality, that the very message that I can stand up here and passionately preach is the very thing that I was struggling to believe as well. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I and what do I do and how do I live in response to that? The way that I knew that I could get out of the storm and of the fire and of the furnace was to just get out, literally. Instead, I started to pray this, the very thing I'm telling you, and so I'm not asking you to do something that your pastor's not first done. I said, God, there's clearly some work that you're trying to do in my life. So whatever you need to do, crank up the furnace. Bring me to my knees. And here's the thing, parenting, things in life, these can be trials. I was literally on my knees in tears yesterday from parenting. A lot of times these things in our life bring us to our knees where we increase our knowledge of God, but our dependence upon him. Look at verse three. What does he take us back to? For I'm the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior.
1: Man. He takes us back
0: again to the first two. I've just told you, you're going to go through hard stuff. I just said, I'm going to be with you. But who am I? I'm the Lord, your God. I'm Yahweh, your Adonai. That's the language being used. The Holy One of Israel. Look at what he says here. He says, your Savior. He says, your sa- Savior. Again, quoting Ray Orland. he says this. He says, do we belong to him? Yes. But even more deeply, he belongs to us. A Savior has given himself to us. Look at what he says here. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. When there is fear going on in your life, when the circumstances are shaky, when so much stuff is going on, what do we do? Go back with me from verse one and look at the promises that are given. I created you. I formed you. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I'll be with you. The fires of life will not burn you. They will not consume you why? I'm the Lord, your God. I'm your savior. I've laid claim to you in the same way you've laid claim to me. The confidence that we have is not in our circumstances. Notice there's nothing in here that's showing that the circumstances are shifting and changing. What is he doing? The, The prophet Isaiah is taking us to identity. He's taking us to not just who we are, but whose we are. He's like, you are a child laid claim by God. You are his and he is yours. The, the most comforting thing that you can have in this life in the midst of trials and circumstances and anything that's going on is to know that you have an unshakable identity as a son or a daughter, that you belong to him and that he belongs to you. And you go through these promises and, 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 and again, this, is, this can just be factual knowledge or it can be like, this is true. I'm redeemed, I'm called, I'm his, he's mine. Our oldest had a really hard time yesterday, really hard time, so did I. And after that, we were driving somewhere and you guys have heard me say this, I've said it 10 times and you'll hear me say it another 100 times. Is I said, Joey, I said, why does
1: dad love you? And she said,
0: because I'm your daughter. And, and, and then I said, okay. I said, um, does dad love you when you were having the moment like you did a little while ago? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay. Uh, like those bad moments? She's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, does dad love you when you have really good moments? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay, why is that? And she goes, because my, or this is what she said verbatim. She's like, because me being your daughter never changes. And I was like, yes, that's it. The, the, the sheer essence of my love is not because she does childlike things or has childlike behavior. It's because she's my child. She is my daughter. It's not because she does good and bad things. It's because she is connected to me. She is mine. She is my daughter. Love her like crazy. Infinitely more is God's cry and declare, I've redeemed you. You're mine. It's not because you do childlike things. It's because you're my child.
1: He says, in fact, I'd give
0: Egypt for you. And he did. He's like, I'd give Cush, Seva, in exchange for you. He would. What is he pointing to? I'd, I'd prove my love to you. How? I'd give anything in the world for you. And the more you understand that this God is with you and you are his, the more this God makes your fear disappear. Because you know that your circumstances might change, and they will but you know the one thing that cannot, it is impossible, is that I will never be anything less than a son or daughter who's infinitely loved and held. Verse 4. We're wrapping up my time. I'm freaking out too. Why? Why would I give all of this for you? I love this. You uh, Underline this in your Bibles. I, I would do all of this for you because, all right? God says, because, listen up, because, here you go. You are precious in my eyes. This is the same language Peter uses in 1 Peter 2. You, you are a living stone, chosen and precious. Think about this. I, I got to hold a newborn yesterday, and it's like, you're just like ooing and aahing. The, the only word that comes to mind is precious, right? And when you see a loving parent who's holding a child, you go, man, they're just looking, they're, they're precious. That is a sliver of how much God looks at us, and, and we are precious in his eyes. That's a promise from God here in Zephaniah 3.17. Because you are precious. The reason I would do all of this is because you're precious in my eyes. It, precious means value. You have such great value. And honored, which means glorious. You are precious in my eyes and honored. You have to see this. You are not precious and honored in my eyes because you do precious and honorable things. You are precious and honored in my eyes because I love you. I love you because I love you. It's not because you do precious and honorable things. In fact, the reason why we are precious and honorable in God's eyes is not because we do those things, but because Christ was precious and honorable in all of his interactions and all of life, and he's given that to us. But God makes it super clear. I love you. The reason I look at you like this is because I love you. And he says it again. I will give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. It is enough for God to say, I love you. He doesn't lie. That's enough. We can cling to that. What kind of love? Infinite love. But God backs up his words with actions because we like that, right? If you've ever seen the movie Man on Fire, it has an actor by the name of Creasy. Creasy? I'm not sure, but it's played by Denzel Washington. And then it has another uh, actress in it whose name is Peter Ramos and it's played by uh, Dakota Fanning. In this movie, uh, um, Creasy is is, is basically suicidal and, and he sees no purpose for continuing on in life. And then he meets this girl, Peter Ramos, and he becomes her bodyguard. And she loves him like crazy. And his heart starts to change. His love for her grows so much that he becomes a man on fire. He would do anything out of his love to save this girl. And you see it. He turns Mexico apart. And then at the end of the movie, there's this scene. It brings tears to my eyes anytime I watch it. But what's happened is they've abducted the girl, uh, kidnapped her, and a ransom has to be paid. And so the bad guy says this. They say, here's the deal. Your life for hers. And he's like, absolutely. Doesn't think about it. But what he does is is, is he gives the mom directions. And and then he says, I'm going to get her. I'm I'm going to bring her back to you. And he walks up on a bridge. He's half dead at this point. And then you see her get out of the car and she runs to him. And then he just embraces her. She tells him how much she loves him. And I love this part in the movie. And she's like, you love me too. And he says something like, with all my heart. And then at this moment... She goes back to be with her mom, and he goes into the arms of the enemy. What has happened is he could tell her that he loves her. But what is the greatest picture of love that we have in that movie? Is, his, is him actually giving his life for someone he loves? If we ever have to question, does God love us? How can he love us? God has proven that statement with the greatest action, the greatest act of love to say, I've given my life or I've given my son's life as a substitution for you. My perfect standard you have not measured up to my son did. You are not defined by one mistake, one sin, or a million in your life. You are defined if you sit in this room by one moment and one man in history, his perfect life in exchange for yours and his perfect death on the cross that he gives to you. And God says, this is how much I love you. I have no other way to show or prove it than to give the greatest gift that I could actually give, and that's how precious you are, that I would give my son's very own life for you to make you mine. And then verse 5 says this Fear not, for I'm with
1: you. He comes back to it. Fear not. We're out of time. I lied. It wasn't a shorter sermon. What do you do?
0: I'm going to give you quick steps. Now we established who God is, what he's done, who we are precious. What do we do? Well, we don't fear because of these truths. But here's the reality we live in a fallen world, we're going to fear be honest with your fears. If you're fearful of Christianity, if you're fearful of coming in, whatever it is, if you're fearful of rejection and abandonment, which I am, I am more relationally insecure as a pastor than I've ever been in my life because of the pandemic. I'm like, I don't know who's in or out. Put those fears before God and put them before your brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel allows you to be honest with your fears. You're not identified by being fearful. You're identified as being fearless because Christ was for you. Next, If I offered you a pill that said this pill will make you like super awesome lean if you take it every day for the rest of your life. I promise none of us would miss it. But if I said, here's the word of God, drenched in the knowledge of who God is. This will decrease fears as you learn and grow in a knowledge of who God is, of his grace, of his mercy and what he's done. Will you do the same thing? Will you make it a daily priority to live and abide in the word of God? And then last, prayer literally what Paul says. When, when, when we're fearful, we go to God. So community, the word, and prayer. That's it. Faithfulness to those things. Let's pray. God, we love you.
1: Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.